Welcome one and all to the Parkinson's Recovery Radio Network. I'm Robert Rogers, your host and founder of Parkinson's Recovery in 2004. Parkinson's Recovery is dedicated to provide information, resources, and support for informations currently diagnosed with Parkinson's and their family members. My guest today is the amazing, I want to say, Bill Curtis, who we interviewed five years ago here on Parkinson's Recovery Radio, reporting on all the kind of steps he was taking in his recovery program. I am pleased and honored to report that today we have him as a follow-up guest. Bill is going to be telling us all the steps he is currently taking on his program of recovery. Bill, thanks so much for taking the time to be a guest on the radio show today. Thank you. I'm excited. So a lot's happened in five years. I know you've made some adjustments and some changes. And so I guess the big question the audience would like to know about, having heard the interview now five years ago, so how are things going? Have things been a bit better, about the same, or a bit worse? Well, that's an interesting question. I ask myself, am I improving or just staying the same? And I think that my own process of journaling my results and the scores I get from my doctor seem to show that I'm improving, if anything. And that's been the case for the last seven years. My doctor recently provided me with uh, all my UPDRS scores from all the years I've been going to see her. And the last seven years, they've been extremely low. UPDRS stands for the Universal Parkinson's Disease Rating Scale, and a low number is better. So I'm sure everybody's going to be interested in knowing, wow, so improving, what in the world are you doing to make that happen? Well, I stumbled across a number of things. Um, it took about two years to settle on a certain recipe, and I found since then that it's probably fortunate that I did discover these things because there are new research publications coming out all the time that seem to say that there are many reasons why this kind of a protocol would be so effective. Um, I think I sent you some graphics. Can people see these online or... The gra yes, the graphics that you sent me are actually on a rotating slideshow here on the radio show page, so people are going to see it pop up every five or ten seconds. Okay. I have one slide that talks about the five things that I do, and that is the one that has a circle with a 24-hour clock in the center of it. And right. And it's got one through five. I'm starting with when I wake up in the morning, I take some buttered coffee. That used to be three tablespoons each of buttercream and 
coconut oil, but I've cut that way down. I just take two tablespoons of organic grass-fed butter, one tablespoon of Kerrygold butter, and one tablespoon of raw, unrefined, organic coconut oil. And I mix that with coffee in the morning and take that. And then a little while later, I'll get ready to exercise. So 15 minutes before I exercise, I'll take ketone ester. This is something you can get from uh, T-Delta-S or ketonaid. And the ketone ester, I take 15 milliliters of it about 15 minutes before I plan to exercise. And then I do fasted morning exercise. And that usually consists of 20 minutes of cycling where I will warm up for about two minutes, then I'll go hard for 30 seconds. I'll let my heartbeat come down for two minutes, and then I'll go hard for 30 seconds, and I'll just repeat that until I'm two minutes away from the end of it, and I'll spin slow to cool off. So it's important, I think, for me that I do this exercise while still fasted. And then at lunchtime, I'll start eating again. Um, when I do eat, I try to avoid carbohydrates and excessive protein. When I say excessive protein, I mean Keep your protein portions moderate by the 6-ounce steak instead of the 24-ounce cut. And carbs, that's primarily sugar. And then the last thing that I do is intermittent fasting. I don't try to eat ketogenic anymore. I think that intermittent fasting takes care of my need to be ketogenic at least part of the day. So I'll stop eating at whatever time I finish dinner, and I won't eat again until lunch the next day. And those are the five things that I do. There's probably some supplements like fish oil or a B vitamin supplement that may be important, but... Uh, it's basically those five things. You mentioned fasting. Could you explain to members of the listening audience why that's important? Sure. Um, fasting does a number of things. One of the co-authors of mine with the recent paper is Mark Matson. And Mark Matson has a book. You can look it up on uh, Amazon.com. It's called Intermittent Fasting. And in the longevity uh, science, people who do intermittent fasting think they'll live longer. Uh, it's been important to uh, the experiments on caloric uh, longevity that the mice not eat for a certain portion of the day. And 
myself, I think that it causes me to lower my glycogen so that I can go into ketogenesis easily. And the ketones are, I think, an important part of this. The ketones are an energy molecule that seems to be important for rescuing. It's also important for times of food deprivation. So then recently I found that if you fast, you will increase your amount of NAD+. And NAD+, is important for a number of things. Um, and the, the mechanism is that your um, circadian clock will increase the amount of NAD that you make if you already have some NAD. So it's a positive feedback mechanism and it may be a great way to increase your available NAD. So that's why I do the fasting, the intermittent fasting. Another interesting thing is it gives you all the benefits of a ketogenic diet without the trouble of having to actually manage a ketogenic diet. It's a very simple thing to do the intermittent fast and get all the benefits and not have to worry about a ketogenic diet. So go ahead. Many people have heard about a ketogenic diet, but don't really know what that is. Could you briefly explain to folks what that's all about? Sure. Um, in the... 20s or so, there was uh, there were a lot of people who would treat diseases by fasting, and I think one of the doctors at uh, the Mayo Clinic, I, I may be wrong on this, but one of the doctors proposed a diet that would mimic fasting. And if you if you do one of two things, you can either eat the great proportion of your calories as fat and very little carbohydrates, or you can cut back on your total caloric intake. Either of those will cause your body to switch to making ketones. Ketones are a water-soluble energy source that can feed the brain, and they don't require any special insulin or transporters, and they're made out of fat. And the important thing for them to be made out of fat is that you have months of storage of fat that could be burned for energy. So you only have a day storage of the glycogen, 
which is the storage form of carbohydrates. And that's why ketones are produced, and that's how they're produced, either through restricted calorie or through a high concentration of your diet consisting of fat. Is that clear? Oh, it indeed is. Thank you so much, Bill. Now, people listening to this are hearing the term ketones or ketone ester. They may have tried to go to a supplement store to see if, oh, can I buy an ester here at the supplement store? I know you've been involved really from many, many years ago with NIH and participating as a volunteer in their research regarding ketones. But the bottom line is ketones are not something that's been around a long time. Could you tell the audience more about the development of this? Sure. Um, I think this goes back to around 2000 when Dr. Richard Veach wrote a paper with some others suggesting that ketones might be good medicine. And ketones are not contained normally in food in, in very measurable amounts. There's some, but not enough to make any difference. So the ketone bodies, as they were called, were mostly known from ketoacidosis or diabetic ketoacidosis, and they were thought of as being a poison. And Dr. Veach and some others wrote in the year 2000 that ketone bodies could replace glucose in people who have diabetes. And he had written a paper in 1995 demonstrating that ketone bodies were capable of feeding the heart just as well as glucose. So a number of years went by and there was no commercial source of exogenous ketones that you could take. And Dr. Veach came up with a solution to the problem by attaching a another thing to the ketone molecule, which was a alcohol with it was a four carbon alcohol with two alcohol groups, and when that was added to the ketone it made a ketone ester. And that ketone ester, when it's broken down, the alcohol turns back into the ketone. So both halves of it are essentially the active ingredient of ketones. Um, the reason that he made the ester with the 1,3-butane diol, the to alcohol four carbon compound was that he was concerned that if you took the amount of beta hydroxybutyrate the, the 
ketone molecule, which has to come with an accompanying sodium ion or calcium or magnesium or potassium. If you had it attached to a salt, the amount of ketone that the body produces would be about 150 grams per day. And if you attach that much sodium to 150 grams of beta-hydroxybutyrate, that would be enough to fill a small beaker. So he didn't want the extra sodium load. So that's why he put the 1,3-butane diol onto the ketone. And when you eat that, it all turns into the same ketone. So that's, um, there was a little bit more to the development of it. Um, one day, Dr. Veach was meeting with a person from DARPA. And the person from DARPA suggested that they do a study to see if the ketone ester could be useful to people in the military. And what came from that was a $10 million study, and that was largely done in Oxford because uh, the rules about taking supplements are different for testing supplements in England than they are in the United States. And one of the things that they did was they had rowers taken. And the rowers were elite athletes. And when they sat down to row for 30 minutes, some of them took ketone ester and some of them took a placebo. But then they switched. So everyone got both the placebo and the ketone ester. And they had a world record, several personal bests, several season bests of the people who took the ketone ester. Since 2012, it's been used in the Tour de France. And largely, they take it after they exercise, not during. And by taking it after they exercise, they're able to recover so much better that in a simulation of the Tour de France, cyclists were able to develop 15% more power on the 18th day of the simulation if they had taken ketone ester. Um, so there were some amazing results that Dr. Beach saw from these ketone ester. Another thing it did was protect from ionizing radiation. This would be like if you were exposed to nuclear fallout in a nuclear blast. In mice that got exposed to 8.5 Rankin, no, the current term is grays, sorry. Uh, 8.5 grays, if they weren't given the ketone ester, roughly 70% died. If they were given the ketone ester, every 12 hours, 
up to 14 times, then they survived at a rate of close to 100%, which is pretty amazing. So that, that's mostly the history of ketones. The other thing was that they were tested for safety. And that safety test focused on elite athletes and adults. But they received a status called GRAS, generally regarded as safe. So they were able to be marketed as a supplement. And that happened a number of years ago. So that's the ketone ester story. When I here over the last several years have referred people to the website, the Ketone Aid website that presents information about ketones, there is a lot of information about athletes and the famous athletes that have used the ester to enhance their performance. So I get back calls and people say, well, it's not for me, it's only for athletes. But Bill, you're saying you use this with great benefit. So what you're saying is that the ketone ester has made a big difference in your life. Do I understand that correctly? Yes, that's correct. See, the, it's it's not possible to make claims about health without a clinical trial. And a clinical trial requires that you file for an investigational new drug, spend nine or ten years investigating it, and ten to a hundred million dollars in the research. So the ketone aid company is not able to make any claims regarding uh, curing or treating anything related to a disease situation would become a problem for them and it would be taken off the market by the FDA. So what you find is on his site, you'll see a lot of information about uh, sports performance, but um, it can also help you mentally. Um, I know a, I have a friend who was uh, in his 50s when he went back to law school, and he had to take the LSAT. Well, when he took a practice test, he just scored one point above the median. But when he took the ketone ester prior to taking the test, he got a score that was at the 90th percentile. So when he took the actual test, he consumed the ketone ester before the test and scored it in the 90th percentile and got a $100,000 scholarship to law school, whereas with his previous score, he wouldn't have been admitted into this law school. So that's why you that's can't. A remar Go ahead. That's a remarkable story. I was just going to say, Bill, that's a remarkable story. Yeah. Uh, there are some advanced brain scans that show that 
taking ketone ester as a 40-year-old makes your brain indistinguishable from a young brain uh, in this imaging protocol. Now, I think when we connected with each other uh, five years ago or so, you reported that you were at that time taking, I think, four or perhaps five medications. So, so what's the status of all that now? Well, I've always had to take the same Parkinson's medications. I haven't changed any of them for a number of years. I take uh, Azelect, I take Cinemet, I take uh, Comptan, I take a Nupro patch, and I take a Mantadine. And I haven't been able to stop taking medicine for Parkinson's disease but I don't have the symptoms that I used to have. I used to have uh, dystonia. That's a tensing up of the muscles, particularly in the feet, and that has 100% gone away. I used to have bradykinesia. That means slow movement. That is something that can come back if I don't follow the protocol, but normally I don't experience that at all. Um, tremor has gone to almost not noticeable at all the entire day, and the only thing that I really have a problem with is dyskinesia. Dyskinesia is something that is new to Parkinson's since they started L-DOPA treatment. Prior to that, no one had dyskinesias. So it's a product of taking the levodopa and the agonists that are dopamine agonists. So that's my medication history. Many people call me every week and they report difficulty with the fact they've had to increase their medications in order to get similar outcomes or similar results. And some people say the doctors will not increase their medicine anymore. Over the period you've had the symptoms, which has been a number of years, have you had to increase your medicines? Well, there was a period where I increased it regularly throughout the first, uh, from diagnosis to about year uh, seven or eight past diagnosis, I continually increased my medication and did things to try to make it last longer. And I was at the point where, as you said, there wasn't any place to go in taking further medication. So I was considering deep brain stimulation or a duodenal injection pump, and uh, I was in pretty bad shape back then. I couldn't uh, predict when I would be off. I knew it would probably come about an hour or half an hour to an hour after my medicine kicked in, but there were times when it would just come on randomly, even when I thought I was well medicated and the meds were fresh. So unpredictable off times and 
the inability to treat the Parkinson's with just the drugs was a serious problem for me then. But then as you began to change your regimen and your program of recovery, you were not having to increase the medicines? That's correct. Without increasing the medicines at all, I brought all my symptoms under control except for dyskinesia. So and I've been, been able to stay within the dose range that's considered safe and not harmful from taking the uh, Parkinson's medications. So by way of just summary for those that are listening, it sounds like you might suggest to somebody who's at the point where medications are not working as they once were, this particular approach that you've used might be something they could seriously consider. Would that be a fair summary? Well, it certainly worked for me. Um, I was in dire straits, and uh, uh, the exercise and the buttered coffee and the ketone ester and avoiding carbs and intermittent fasting made a world of difference. Even when I was considered disabled, I couldn't... Uh, finish writing a sentence because I would forget what I was writing and I'd have to read what I'd written before and I had uh, a lot of difficulty just feeling like I was uh, in great discomfort from the uh, effects of Parkinson's on my muscles, and it seemed like when I got on this new protocol, it was such a relief to have all those things go away. I have been receiving a number of frustrations from members of my audience. And those frustrations basically hinge on the fact that there are now dozens of options that are natural and that have afforded some individuals welcome relief from their symptoms. What was it that attracted you to pursue the ketone ester and the fasting and the exercise as the combination of approaches that were going to work for you with so many other options to consider? How did you know that was going to be the answer? Well, I started out with uh, fasted exercise, and the reason that I chose that had to do with my reading of a book called Spark that was talking about the potential to use exercise to make you smarter. And not everyone who exercises has a more functional brain. But in the book, they did notice things like the girls' cross-country team that ran in the morning had better grades than other athletes. And the book suggested that BDNF, brain-derived neurotrophic factor, and ketone bodies 
might be produced. I don't think the book suggested ketone bodies, but the book definitely said BDNF. And I had been aware that ketone bodies were used by Dr. Van Italy to lower the UPDRS by an average of 40% among a small population when they were Parkinson's patients were given a ketogenic diet. So because of that, I reasoned that if I fasted overnight, my glycogen would go down, and then I'd be able to exercise, and maybe my body would produce BDNF or ketones, and the ketones had done such good job, such a good job in the Dr. Van Italy paper that that was what I was thinking would happen. And when I did the exercise and I was still fasting in the morning, it resolved the problem that I had with um, fatigue. I remember the week before I started the fasting exercise, I was suffering from fatigue. I was out in the driveway washing the windows on the car and I felt like I couldn't finish just a simple job of washing the windows. Then the week after I started the exercise with um, started the exercise in a fasted state, I was out chopping roots for four hours, and I felt great. And the the difference was actually absolutely astounding. Um, I tried to use some glucose to see if that would kill the effect, and it did. Glucose kept the fasted exercise from working. And then a few years later, I had met Dr. Veach and started working with his efforts, and he got an email and handed it to me and said, here, try this. It was for the uh, buttered coffee with the three tablespoons of each. And he said to me, don't do this for more than a week. It'll kill you. So I tried it, and in combination with my fasting in the morning and exercising, it sort of completed most of this cycle and relieved an amazing number of symptoms right on the very first day. Um, I've since learned a lot about the mechanisms involved, and it seems like this combination has a lot of potential to do things that are well supported by the um, literature and the mechanisms that we understand control Parkinson's. You are taking the ketones then really every day. How much does it cost to be able to acquire the ketone esters that you are using? Well, I'm just taking it primarily before exercise. And at 15 milliliters, it's about a dollar an 
a ounce for active ingredients. So 15 milliliters would be about $7.50 a day. And do you take the ester at any other times, for example, at a situation where it might be particularly stressful for whatever reason? Yes, I do. I, I did mention my friend who took the uh, LSAT test. I experienced similar uh, improvements in my ability to recall words and things like that. So if I'm going on a vacation or a trip or if I'm babysitting the grandchildren or if I'm giving a talk or speaking in this interview, I will take some extra ketone ester. Before this meeting, I took uh, 30 mil 25 milliliters of the ketone ester, so that would be about uh, um, $12.50 worth. You provided an eloquent overview of your diet. Could you be a little more specific on exactly what you tend to eat every day? Sure. I like to take pictures of it uh, and keep track of it. Um, so, for example, for lunch I had some lentil soup and a half of an avocado. Um, I'll often have uh, things that are keto-friendly, such as spiraled squash or spaghetti. And uh, I try to eat a protein and two or three vegetables with it. Uh, basically, it's uh, just a healthy diet. I, I avoid processed foods. Uh, I think you have to do that. There are so many things in processed foods that can destroy your gut microbiome and uh, cause other problems that you just have to stay away from processed foods. You never know what's going to be in there. And another thing that I do is I tend to favor certain kinds of fats over others. I am not a big fan of polyunsaturated fatty acids like the seed oils. I think that they are susceptible to oxidation and can become rancid and that it's the oxidation product products that are actually causing the problems with heart disease. There was a big study called the PURE study that looked at 135,000 people in 18 countries and five continents and found that there was no correlation between saturated fats and any form of mortality or any form of cardiovascular issue. They did find that the higher concentration of your diet that was made of saturated fat, the least likely you were to have a stroke, and that was statistically valid. Are there supplements, Bill, that you tend to take on a regular basis? I take uh, a general multivitamin. I take uh, a B-complex. 
I take vitamin D, I take potassium and magnesium, and I take fish oil. Those are the principal supplements that I take. Bill, what questions have I not asked in this amazing interview today that I really should have asked? Well, um, I published a paper with uh, Dr. Matson and Dr. Seeds and Dr. Bradshaw, and it's available online. And the paper talks about mechanisms that are underlying and ties together a lot of the Parkinson's genes and explains how a substance called NADPH can be involved in a number of ways to help with your symptoms, to make you synthesize all the neurotransmitters you need, and I also proposed a hypothesis that had to do with Parkinson's being caused by, in large part, due to problems with your mitochondrial quality control. Mitochondrial quality control means that if you have a dopaminergic neuron that has 2 million mitochondria in it, and the neuron lives the length of your life, but the mitochondria have to be replaced every month, something has to be going on to select the bad mitochondria to be replaced. And I suggest that it's a signal made of superoxide. And so there's this hypothesis that we put forward in that paper. And I think it's an important understanding that there are things upstream from alpha-synuclein and uh, substantia nigra that can be treated and reverse the um, state of your Parkinson's and let you recover a certain amount. And I think that's how my uh, Parkinson's improved. What part of our discussion today, Bill, would you want most listeners to remember as they reflect back on our interview one week from today? Well, if you have Parkinson's or know someone with Parkinson's, I think it would give you hope that um, it's not necessarily going to progress all your life, that it may be possible for others to get control of it, to reverse the symptoms, and look forward to... Um, whenever I go to see my doctor, I'm not worried about measuring progression. I'm just checking in. And uh, I think that's possible for a large number of people Right now, I get messages from people saying, yes, it works great, thank you.
but that's not the same as a clinical trial. And I think we need to get verbal about having clinical trials with these methods that uh, combine several um, different aspects of lifestyle. You have presentations on YouTube I want to make sure that people know about. Tell us a little bit about those. I've made some YouTube presentations and have put together a playlist that tell people what the five things are that I do and how it might be used in a clinical trial. There is a group in the University of Michigan, and they're trying to get approval for a clinical trial of the Curtis Protocol. So I'm very excited about that. And I'm trying to share some of the methods that they're using in that clinical trial should they get approval. And I think I made a tiny URL and put that in some of the uh, images. Let me see if I can scroll to one that has it. Okay, the, the URL is tinyurl.com slash protocol. That's tinyurl.com slash protocol. So thanks for awesome. telling people about that. Well, of course, Phil. You are truly a pioneer of recovery. On the radio show page here, we do have a link to the website ketoneaid.com that provides additional information about the ketone ester for those of you that would like to explore that further. Bill Curtis, I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for coming back on to Parkinson's Recovery Radio and giving us an amazing update on what I think is this amazing discoveries that you have been able to formulate as a result of your trial and error experimentation. So thank you so much for sharing with the members of our global audience all the wonderful things that you've been doing to celebrate the fact that you have now able to live a vibrant, active, full life. Yes, thank you, Roger. It is a, indeed a very high pleasure. And that's what's happening here on, the, you guessed it, Shores of the Puget Sound, where all of the men are handsome, all of the women are beautiful, and all of the children are profoundly loved. Know that by listening to this spectacular, amazing, informative interview with Bill Curtis, that indeed you are traveling down the road to recovery in your own time, in your own way, using your own great good instincts about what kind of best decisions you need to make in order to have a successful journey down the road to recovery. Thank you so much for supporting the work here at Parkinson's Recovery, and thank you so much to Bill Curtis for taking the time to share his experience with us today. 
May you have a spectacular week. Good day.